Welcome everyone to another edition of Conversations with Shelby Green. I am your host, the main man. Shovel nasty, big nasty, long hair don't care. It's receding a little bit, hairline falling back a little bit. Or you just call me Shelby Lee Green. Today, we're going to get into the Hellraiser review, the new the Hellraiser remake that came out a couple months ago on Hulu. I'm finally going to get that, that movie out to you guys today. We're talk- <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to talk among other things today as well. But uh, I want to start it off on a negative note. As I record, this is on Monday, so obviously, you know, um, by Wednesday, this just drops at 9 a.m. like all the time, like always. But I want to start off today. We're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers last night and why I think Matt Canada ought to be fired right here. Matt Canada, Canada ought to be fired right here and right now. I'm also going to talk about uh, talking about Louisville's football weekend, and I'm also going to talk Louisville Cardinals football, excuse me. And I'm also going to talk about Louisville Cardinals basketball preview in the Maui as well, and talk about the state of the program as well before I get into the Hellraiser. And I'm going to preview, <coughs> give you. <coughs> Excuse me, y'all. I got a little cough this morning. So, where do I begin? Let's talk about the Steelers since I got it pulled up. Last night, the Pittsburgh Steelers lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. The Steelers fall to 3-7. and seven. Bengals go to 6-4. and four. And I want to point this out here. Everybody online is ragging on the fucking defense and talking about defense is the problem. We spent too much money on defense, blah, 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 blah. I want to make this real clear to you. You can't win games when you're up 20 to 17 at halftime and you fail to score on your first three drives because you always like to go on. You have three straight three and outs in the second half to start out. Because the first half, you had a great recipe. You were throwing the ball downfield and everything else. Play action pass was working well and everything else. What happened? Oh, I know what happened. Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, decided 10 times yesterday, second and nine or more, to run the fucking football. That's what happened. Kenny Pickett was 25 of 42 for 265. Had a touchdown. Najee Harris, 20 carries on the ground for 90 yards. George Pickett was targeted six times with four receptions for 83 yards. I think he is the new number one receiver in Pittsburgh. Pratt Fireproof got 12 targets for eight catches for 79 yards. Can we get this guy to average over 10 yards a catch, please, for the love of God? And I'm just running down receiving, the, you know, Deontay Johnson, five targets for four, four catches for 21 yards. It's apparent to me that I don't know who's living underneath a fucking rock. But I really, honestly, truly believe that Matt Canada's got to go. I mean, what does what does what does he have on, on the Pittsburgh Steelers? What does he have? Like, can somebody point out to me what the fuck does this guy have on us or something? Because it's ridiculous. It's far fetched. It's stupid. Najee Harris is starting to run. I mean, ran the ball well the last couple weeks. But the problem is, you've been able to throw the ball downfield. That's why it's helping. But once again, what do I know? I I, I don't know. I, I just I just don't know. I'm pretty sure it'll be pointing on the defense giving up 300 yards passing, but they hit, stopped the fucking run. They held Joe Mixon chest. I mean, their defense is going to get wore down tired at this point. I thought for sure Steelers was like when they when they got that touchdown at the before the end of the half and got that fucking got that turnover, got the field goal. I said, man, we got the ball in the second half. We're gonna make a fucking statement. We're gonna go down. We're gonna keep momentum going. And sure enough, they killed momentum because of Matt Can Candace play Candace play calling. There are a lot of guys out there. Frank Wright just recently got fired by the Colts. I mean, he's a good offensive play caller. Why not bring him in? Look, I love Mike Tomlin. I think I think he's I think he gets way too much shit. 
But I'll be honest with you, I mean, something's got to give. Like, you got to do something. I'm not calling for Mike Tomlin's job because I ain't that fucking stupid. I'm not going to call for the man's job. But in my opinion, you got to make a call. And offensively, something's got to change. There are, Pittsburgh has, I mean, George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Firebooth, and Najee Harris. Those are four, those are four guys that can, that can help you with your offense. The offensive line is still dog shit. And Kenny Pickett, I think, will get better. He's going to, within two years, we're going to be talking about Kenny Pickett in the range. In my opinion, he's going to be one of those guys you're going to look back, mm, he's a top 10 quarterback probably in two years. I think he's got, I think he has a chance. I like Kenny Pickett. But I'm going to look at Stewart's schedule. I'm going to pull back up real quick because I'm just so fucking irritated with him. You know, they, they, I'm just irritated. Pittsburgh, uh, let's see. They play the Colts, and I'm going to that game, by the way, at Colts at the Falcons, home against the Ravens at Carolina, home against the Raiders at Ravens, and home against the Browns. I think they'll beat Indianapolis. I think they'll beat the Falcons. I think they will lose to Baltimore. I think they'll beat Carolina. I think they'll win home against the Raiders. I'll take that back. I think, I honestly believe they can, they got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They got seven games left. I think they can go five and two or six and one. I just think they can. Problem is they can't drop. You just can't drop games like this. My God, I mean they they fucking have they've lost they've lost three of their last four. I mean they are just this is just ridiculous. I thought for sure, you know that. I mean I look at their schedule. They shouldn't have lost to New England. I look at their schedule. The first game they beat Cincinnati in overtime. They lost to New England. They shouldn't have lost that game against New England. They took on Cleveland. I'll take I'll take that L. The Jets they gave that game away. Buffalo we got our ass kicked. We beat Tampa Bay. Miami, we shouldn't have lost. Eagles got our ass kicked. Saints, and last night, we should, I mean, last night. So, I'll take last night, the Eagles, Buffalo. I mean, right in the Browns. We should have, the record should be flipped. We should be 7-4. But all bad offensive play, bad play calling is the problem with Pittsburgh. It's bad play calling, man. I'm sick of this shit. I mean, this is ridiculous. Najee Harris can play. And they 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 just now realize, you know, well, maybe we ought to put a fullback back there. Or maybe we ought to get Jalen Warren in there and split carries and not you wear him down. You fucking think? So you don't wear him down? Jesus Christ. It just it just irritates my soul, man. It irritates my irritates my soul as I cover my face up. That they do this shit. I'm just God, I'm irritated. Because everybody, everybody wants to point around, they got all this money on this damn defense. And, yeah, 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 and the defense ain't the problem. Now, their secondary is a little beat up because they play a lot of zone coverage. But they got Mika back there. They got guys like Cameron Hayward up front. You got Alex Highsmith, who's, who's turned out to be a hell of a, line, a pass rusher. T.J. Watt is T.J. Watt. The only guy in the NFL that I argue that's better as a defensive player than T.J. Watt is Aaron Donald. That's it. Plain and simple. And that's a fact. So, I'm just saying, man. Do I think Mike Tomlin's gonna have a losing season? I think they can they can run the table and squeeze in something, but nah. I think they'll have a losing season, and I hope I, hopefully I'm wrong. I pray the guy will come back here. I'll probably rewind this fast forward and say, "Oh, I was wrong." All right, let's talk about a little Louisville Cardinal football. Another. I'm going to put this one. Another top 25 caliber opponent falls to Louisville Cardinals. You know Louisville has got five wins over teams that are in the top 25. That's more than any other team in the, in the country. 
NC State came to town and Louisville won by 15 points. Their defense, I know NC State's without their starting quarterback, but we were out our starting quarterback yesterday, so fair game. And NC State has a solid defense, and we did a great job. Um, I'm just really proud of this turnaround, and I'm going to make this real clear. Sat Scott Statterfield, I was wrong. He deserves the right to coach his recruiting class. You need to give that man an extension. Give him an extension where he deserves, and let's get him what he wants. And I'll make this real clear. We know what next week is. And it's Thanksgiving weekend. And at 3 o'clock Saturday, I'll be sitting my fat ass on my couch. Because we're going to go down to Lexington. We're going to whoop somebody's ass. That's right. In due time, Kentucky, I'm going to make this real clear. You've had your fun with your little... Oh, we run the state last three victories and all this other shit. Let me make this real clear to y'all. It's been a rebuilding phase in Louisville. And that defense has woken up. Now, I will admit, Kentucky's got a hell of a defense. I think their defense is really good. But the one weakness in Kentucky's guys are offensive line. And I'm telling you right here, right now, Darby and Abdul are going to come off that edge and they're going to rush you, Will. You better get out of that pocket quick. Because I promise you one thing, there ain't a hole, there ain't gonna be holes like there were last last year when you were able to run up the middle. Because those guys are gonna come and they're gonna come hard and they know what they're gonna do. And Clark and Riley in the secondary, they'll be watching. Now I do think Kentucky's got some speed in the wideouts, and I think they got some guys out there that can make some plays. But we're gonna see. You better hope Rodriguez can run the ball too, because Louisville's run defense has been locking people up. You know, I look at this rundown this year, and I made a tweet, and I said after they beat, after they I, they beat, after they beat, um, they beat Virginia, uh, they beat Pitt. I made the prediction that we were either gonna we were gonna be six and three walking to Death Valley, which is Clemson, and I made a prediction that we beat when we beat Wake Forest. I tweeted we will be nine and three. Now, if you feel debris, like a sudden quick pause, my uh, love of my life just came home and she brought me some chicken fillets, so I'm very happy right now. But back to what I said, I predict we will be 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three to finish the year out. And the one loss I thought we would have was at Clemson. I just thought, you know, it is what it is. And we got fucked by the calls, play call. Not the play call, but referee call. And I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not one. To blame the clip, but officiating shit, but I'm definitely gonna blame it this time because it was straight up bullshit. And I'll continue to say it was bullshit, and that's just a fact. Just a fact. Now, do I worry about? Do I worry about? Uh, um, what? Do I worry about, um, you know, on the road, the atmosphere down there? <clears throat> um, yeah, I worry. I mean, it's a road game. I worry. But at the same time, the biggest thing I'm worried about is if, if Malik Cunningham's going to play. If Malik Cunningham plays for us, we are gonna. I think we can win ten or, by 10 or more points. Do I think he play? I think he'll play because I think Satterfield set him out yesterday for a reason. I, I'm just so happy for that program because – they're gonna have, they have they have a winning season and they win tomorrow 
I mean, they win next Saturday. There's one, there's a game. We're going to play at a bowl game. We'll have eight wins. So we'll play a pretty good team. And I mean this, I hope it's Purdue. I hope it's Purdue because I want to play Purdue. And I'll tell you why I want to play Purdue. Because I am the mindset that I cannot stand the Jeff Brom camp. Not Jeff Brom as a person because it isn't his fault. But these people out here think he's a savior. That he can come to Louisville and come home and do things. So look what he's doing at Purdue and everything else. The same guy that you guys praise is the same guy that laid an egg against Iowa. He's going to play in the Big Ten title game this year. Let me make this clear to you guys too. He's going to get his ass waxed by Michigan or Ohio State. It's just the facts. That's why he played a weaker side of division. That's why the ACC is getting rid of their divisions because they want teams to play each other. And the best two teams are going to play each other no matter what in the conference championship, which it should be. And I like that idea, and I'm sticking with it. So from a debacle at Syracuse to a tough road win at UCF to choking at fucking at home against Florida State, I was there, to dominating you South Florida, to going on lay, laying a fucking egg against at Boston College, to beating Virginia at home uh, on the road in Virginia when we need we got to buy at the right time to taking care of Pittsburgh and shutting them down to having a turnover city and a defense rocking Wake Forest beating a really highly little overrated but a solid team in James Madison to going down to Death Valley and getting screwed but it is what it is to and then last Saturday beating another top twenty five team in NC State and it's going to culminate in a big win on the road against our rival. And I mean this, hashtag beat UK, hashtag FBigB, I'm sorry, hashtag FBBN, which that means fuck blue, big blue nation, hashtag go cards. Let's handle business, boys. Let's get the eight and four, and then let's go to bowl game. Let's finish the year out nine and four. Statterfield, get that man an extension he deserves. Give him a three or four year extension. Let him go to work. Because let me tell you something, if Mark Stoops can get the deal he has down there in Lexington, when he ain't done jack shit, to be honest with you, he's beat a couple of rebuilding global teams. But let's be honest, head-to-head, what happens with the, the history of the programs? So stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And these Kentucky fans out there talking all this bullshit, blah, 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 and everything else. Look, bro, you look at the NFL, we're everywhere. Where the hell are you at? You always use that NBA argument. Well, look at the NFL with us. So... I mean, let's look at the WNBA. We've, you know, you were bragging about having the number one pick. I said we had Angel McCarthy did that ten years before that. Look at baseball. I mean, just, just, ugh. you know, there's one thing about Kentucky fans, and I will stay. This Erica system. One thing over. Well, when it all comes down, it's just a basketball. It's just about basketball. Not really, because you guys use that argument. But every time you guys do well in football, you want to bring that up. But when we bring it up, it's a problem. I think Kentucky fans are so obsessed with us because. When you go to when you go to the state of Kentucky to travel or whatever, everybody goes to Louisville, nobody goes to Lexington. They go past Lexington to go to Knoxville, let's be honest. And when I say Knoxville, I mean Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, I mean obviously Kentucky is the mecca of college basketball, and I understand that or whatever. I mean, they got their ass kicked last night by Gonzaga, and Kentucky's gonna be there in the end this year. And I'm gonna talk about Louisville basketball here in a minute, but let's just be honest. You know, Swaggy Cal is talking about that number one recruiting class he's got and everything else. And, you know, he's poking his chest out. He was poking his chest out when he was 38-0 with Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, the Harrison Twins, Trey Lyles, Alex Portress, Willie Cauley-Stein, Tyler Ulis. 
And he got beat by a scrappy-ass Wisconsin team, which was well-coached by Bo Ryan and had Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker and, and Jim Jackson and Jimmy Jackson's son. But let's be honest. They should have beat that Wisconsin team. Let's be honest. Coach Kyle Perry also should have more than one title down there in Lexington. And, you know, I don't want to keep talking about UK because I'm wasting my fucking breath because I hate wasting my time on the University of Kentucky. I definitely can't stay in that school, and I, I mean that. Their fan base is so obsessed with There was actually Kentucky fans that went there. I see more Kentucky fans at Louisville games than you see. At, you don't see Louisville fans at Rupp because they don't want they don't want to go. Why would we want to go to Rupp Arena? Why do we want to go to Kroger Field and watch them play? Why do Kentucky fans – I saw – I went to Louisville Live earlier this year, and I saw five Kentucky fans. Like, what? why do you guys come to our games? Why do you watch us? Do you guys like have a hard on for us? Is there is it a sexual thing? Like, what is the problem? Like, I don't I don't get it, man. Do you guys do you guys get like seeing Louis the Cardinal Bird and want to hug him or hump its leg? I, I what is the what is the problem? Do you want to fondle him? Like, y'all got this obsession with us or something? Jesus Christ! Like, I I don't get it. I don't understand it. You guys worry about us. I was telling a guy I work with, Ramon Tobin. I was telling him, do you guys have like an assessment? Well, it's about the state of Kentucky. That ain't mean it. Then why aren't you the same way with Western? Why aren't you the same way with Eastern? Why aren't you the same with Moorhead? Why aren't you the same with everything? I mean, hell, Knoxville, Tennessee is your second biggest rivalry, and you don't even give a shit about them. I did when they got beat by I will admit when Knoxville won Kentucky got the shit kicked out of my tennis couple weeks. I brought Tobin on orange at fucking work. That was fucking awesome. He he knew what I was getting at. He's like, man, you an asshole. Nah, just keep that same energy. Now let's talk about little basketball. Oh man. I have blocked people on Twitter. I have and by the way, I want to make this clear. Hey Dan Dockage, you're a piece of shit. Fuck you. And you'll never hear this, and I really don't give a fuck. But anyway, fuck you, Dockage. Um Little Brogan's been through hell. Kenny Payne inherited a mess. You know what's crazy? You know, Kenny Payne's failure to recruit, you know, the Louisville media like Rashawn Myers and all these other guys, how Kenny Payne couldn't land a guard this offseason. Like, what is the problem down there in Louisville? Why do the guards want to come to Louisville? Well, the IRA pay thing, whatever you, AP thing, whatever the fuck you call it, that issue we had, that cloud we had over us, the stigma. The rebuilding started when that decision was announced that we, nothing was going to happen to Louisville. I'm going to run down the timeline for you guys. And I'm going to start with the, the key words. 1.18%. In 2009, we're going to go all the way back to 2009. In 2009, we were the overall number one seed the University of Louisville was. We won the real Big East. Real Big East. Not the shit you see on television now. No disrespect to those programs, let's be honest. Providence was in the bottom eight of the Big East. Seton Hall was the same way. When Syracuse, Louisville, Pittsburgh, we were at the mecca of that thing. Let's be honest. And UConn as well. Let's be honest. 2009, we won the regular season and the tournament championship. We were the overall number one seed. And then, of course, T. Will and company laid an egg against Michigan State. The following year, we went... You know, it was a rebuild. Louisville lost a lot with Earl Clark, Terrence Williams. We lost, you know, number 33. I'll never say his name again. 
I refuse to say that man's name. You know what I'm talking about. If you know, uh, you know who Louisville is. Whatever. You know we lost those guys, and Louisville went. You know went to the first round, got beat by California. Second year, Louisville started off in hunches. They looked good on paper. Uh, not good. I'm sorry. Looked good down the stretch. Won a lot of close games, and they lost in the first round at Moorhead State with Kenneth Reed, who was a lottery pick. So it is what it is. We got beat. Then, of course, you know, 2012. It's like chewing a, a terror top from chicken filet. I apologize, but I was hungry. But, of course, everybody knows what happened. We got that recruiting class coming in. Shane Bohannon, Wayne Blackshear, Kevin Ware, Zach Price. You know, a hell of a class. That class came in and... We went to the Final Four that year. I remember we were in, we had a lot of injuries to beat up. Won the Big East Championship that year with Peyton Siebel winning the MVP. And we went to the Final Four and got beat by a really good Kentucky team that year. It is what it is. Then the following year, we were preseason. It was it, it was Indiana and us, but we knew – Louisville fans knew we were the preseason number one team in the country. It wasn't even close. And Louisville was the number one team in the country that year preseason. And they came in and – you know, they struggled a little bit here and there. Lost in five overtimes as the last loss of the year. We rolled off, won the Big East Tournament that year. Won the number one, overall number one seed again in the tournament. And won the NCAA Championship. I mean, you instantly can act like it didn't happen, but I remember the game when it happened. I got a DVD that said it happened. I got a T-shirt. I got the memories. Dad's got the newspaper clippings and shit. And it's hanging up on his wall. The following year, we were not fit. Nobody really talked about us a lot. And we were, you know, went to the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, because the Big East to function. So we won the last Big East title, in my opinion, the original, the real Big East. And plain and simple, we did our thing that year. The year after, we did our thing. Rolling up eight points against Kentucky in the Sweet 16. And Chris Jones gets fouled clearly. Lands on the back of his fucking head, basically knocks himself silly, and we end up losing that game. Up 18 to 5 at one point in that game, too, against Kentucky. Blew a lead. Chris Jones got hurt. Chris Jones doesn't get hurt. We win that game. I believe that. Luke and the crew, man. That was Luke's last year at Louisville. Luke Hancock, Final Four MVP. 2013 team again, once again, because it did happen. And then the following year, we, and this is where I'm getting the segue on the segment when I said 18. 1.18 seconds. Went to the Elite Eight this, the following year against in the Carrier Dome against Michigan State. And Rick Pitino's stubbornness of not taking Montrez Harrell and playing Onowaku down a stretch to give Montrez, some, uh, give Montrez a break. Montrez Harrell got tired down the stretch, and that, this, that loss was on fucking Rick. I will continue to say that. This loss was on Rick Pitino on this day. Trez didn't get tired. Wayne Blackshear played his ass off that night. Mango missed one free throw in overtime, and Louisville combined from the second half from overtime and overtime in the second half shot 18% from the floor, and we lost that game. And then from that point forward, it's been on a tra- the program has been on a backtracking like a motherfucker. The whole bullshit with um. The whole bullshit of the Katrina Pal incident. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. That had to be set up. 
That had to be set up. There's no way if or ands, but that had to be set up. Somebody, whoever introduced the number 33, whoever introduced that to that to that human being, whoever introduced her, somebody had to set that up. Don't be surprised if it wasn't a booster for UK or somebody working. I'm just saying. Because the obsession is real. I mean, they would do... I can see them doing some shit like that. Then, of course, that happens. Now, um, you know, self-imposed ban that year. Over this bullshit that came out. Following year, you know. We're rolling, we're rolling, we're rolling. We play well down the stretch with Donovan Mitchell, his sophomore year. Everybody's talking about Louisville, you know, the number two seed, well, number two seed in the tournament, and they played Michigan the second round. And Rick refuses refuses to switch Dingo Dell off on one of Michigan's big, and we get killed. And also, we stopped going to Mango Mathing inside, so that fucking helps too. Stop going inside to Mango, and we get we lay an egg against Michigan. The following year. We have a really good class coming in that following year. You know, we're preseason top five in the country. A lot of people are talking about us like this may be one of Rick's best teams at Louisville. And then the full shit with the FBI happens. And Rick gets fired. And, you know, David Padgett takes over intern duties. We missed the tournament because of dysfunction. You know, we just we just couldn't finish games. The drama at Louisville was ridiculous. We all know what happened. Padgett gets Relieved, he's not going to be interim. And I knew from day one who they went and got hired. They went and hired Chris Mack. I will make this real clear. My thoughts on Chris Mack are about to go off rail real quick. And if you don't like language and certain words being used, I've said some cuss words, but this is probably going to be every sentence from here on after I finish this little segue is going to be a lot of F-bombs. A lot of BSs and a lot of other things. So y'all might want to turn this off and come back about another, about another fast forward about 10 minutes down the line. Chris Mack gets the job. Chris Mack uh, decides that he know he's never going to leave Louisville and he's going to do this and that and everything else and all blah, 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 and all this other bullshit, you know, and everything else. All this other shit. And... Of course. And he is a um, – Mac, I thought, meant well for the university. You know, he wanted to bring the alumni back. He wanted to bring everybody back. He wanted to unite the program. You know, because let's be honest, Rick shut the doors on the alumni when he took the job. That's one thing about Rick. Rick's all about Rick. And I mean that. I mean, Rick won, me, won a lot of games for us, but he, Rick is all about Rick. And I just – he just makes me sick to my – Rick's ego gets him gets on my fucking nerves, but he won some games for us. But he lost a lot of games for us too. But this fucking bald headed prick, Chris Mack, you know, <clears throat> he, you know, he comes out <clears throat> and I supported Mack because he's my head coach. And I'm gonna talk about Kenny Payne here in a second. Chris, I support Chris Mack. Uh, you know, I know he's been, you know, you know, Chris, you know, his dad was real sick, and his dad recently, you know, whatever. But I will say this, <clears throat> you know, Chris, you know, he had a hell of his first class there was, you know, project, everybody says he had a top 10 class. That class is top 15 at best. Um, he brought a hell of a class in the second year at Louisville. And the first year they got to the NCAA tournament, got beat by Minnesota in the first round. You tell me NCAA didn't set that up, that's bullshit. We all know what they did. Childish is what they are. Then, of course, Chris Mack, you know, his second year, you know, there's a lot of hype. 
McDonald's All-America, Sam Williamson, David Johnson, Agent Agawo, you know, Jalen Withers. I mean, it's a hell of a class. Josh Nickelberry was his first commit. You think, okay, this is what we're going to do. He's going to get his guys. And then, of course, you know, and I don't care what anybody says, down that stretch that year, we had a 10-game stretch here. We won 10 games in a row. We were the best team in the country when we were healthy. Then, of course, Malik got hurt. We got our ass kicked to Florida State. We got punked that night. And then COVID happened. The world shut down. Louisville finished the year 24-7, and I think, I, I believe. And we probably had a deep tournament run in us. And that derailed Mac a little bit. Then, of course, Mac, you know, the following year we have Kobe. We go 13-7, had a couple shuts down, shutdowns. We should have been in the NCAA tournament, but we didn't get in. Then that offseason, you know, Mac had this great – had a good, solid class coming in. I was really excited for it. Bobby Pittford committed to us, who plays at Kansas now. You know where I'm going with that. And then Dino uh, Dino, um, Dino was fired and um, Luke Murray were fired, two of his assistants. Luke Murray is the son of Bill Murray, that Bill Murray. And, of course, um, you know, Dino, who, who I – Dino Gotti, who I cannot stand in stomach to this day, got fired. He, he was let go of Dunes and Dino threatened to go to the NCAA over some bullshit that turned out in this investigation was a farce. Mac recorded the conversation between them both, and Mac got suspended because he didn't use the university involved. So, the former university president who works at Penn State, I refuse to speak that bitch's name. Vince Tyro was nothing more than a fucking tool, the athletic director, and he was putting a vine here, and I he should have fired Mac right then and there. Matt gets suspended. You bring in a bunch. You lose three recruits, so you got you scramble. You bring in, you know, you bring in uh, Sidney Curry, Juco. You know, you bring in a couple grad transfers. You bring in Noah Locke. I mean, they bring these guys. They try to gel this team to fucking together. Matt can't fucking run the practices. You got other guys running the practices. You put Mike Pegasus the intern, and he struggles. They go five and one to open the year up. They win a tournament in the Bahamas, and Matt comes back. They drop an egg against Michigan State. And then after that, it's just false, 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 false. They played Notre Dame that year at the Yum Center. Russ Smith, number two. You know, it's funny. We can retire Russ Smith's number because he won in that, you know, all the records accolades, but the UCLA refuses, refuses to acknowledge the Final Fours and the, you know, the national championship. But we can retire his fucking number, which makes no fucking sense. And let's be honest about this. Mac loses against Notre Dame on that jersey retirement, and I knew – Leaving my dad's house that Saturday, I said, if they don't beat Virginia Monday, he will be gone by Wednesday morning. And I was fucking wrong. He was gone by Tuesday evening. Pegasus takes the interim job. They fought in some games, but they just did not. And they, it was the worst Louisville team I had ever seen. And, of course, you know, Kenny Payne gets the job. Kenny, I'm going to talk about Kenny in a minute, but I'm going to read these tweets after the whole the IR, the IRAP AP, uh, ruling was done. And this is Chris Mack's tweets. I appreciate the many text support I've received today. The clout that my staff and I operated on during a time at Louisville was in rebel and recruiting. As far as the tribal allegations leveled against me and, my, me and our program today was vindication in many ways. They were found. Once again, Dino, you piece of shit. You try to, you just, you fucking turn your back on a fucking friend when Mac had to do what he had to do. Mac should never brought your ass in there in the first place, let's be honest. 
The deeper meaning for me, though, is that I had the, the separation from Lilith, from the separation not occurred. I would never had those weeks, the last few weeks, around the clock with my dad. God has had a plan along, and I'm grateful for it. You know, God bless his father's soul. Christy and I wish everyone at UofL best moving forward. The fans certainly deserve it after the last five years. Certainly. And then he puts a gif up from Shawshank Redemption riding off into the sunset. I'm going to make this real clear. You know, his dad passed away, and I want to, you know, that, that is a, I mean, that is a tragedy, a tragedy, I mean, tragedy, and I, Paul, and I'm, you know, it's ungrateful, and I'm, I mean, ungrateful, it's sad it happened, but let me make it real clear, it doesn't change the fact that Mac, Mac was a narcissistic, he was full of shit, and everything else, Mac got, now I know his time at Univell got derailed because of COVID, I get that, but everybody else did too as well, what happened, he lost, you know, he tried to do this ain't and like I said this what well, when he took when Dad told me the job this ain't Xavier's little you better dot your eyes and cross your t's with this job. He and and it wasn't that outside Jordan Orr and David Johnson nobody got better under Mac no one Sam Williamson got worse from his freshman year and on he got worse. He never developed Josh Nickelberry. He never got a chance, you know, ever since it was COVID. Jalen Withers, he fucked with Jalen Withers so bad. Withers is now showing his potential on Kenny Payne's teams. He made, made J.J. Turner play the five. When Trainer was not a center, he, you know, he tried to make, play the small ball, long arm bullshit. Well, it just does not work in the ACC. You can't play that shit. And he tried to do he tried to do that. And look, it's just, oh, man. He'll get a job somewhere next year, next year coaching, and that's that. I mean, personally, my opinion, the Chris Mack era is over with and done with. And look what we got now. Let's talk about Kenny Payne. And I will continue to defend Coach Payne on here, and I will continue to defend him to the day I'm put in the ground. Because everybody wants to get on his recruiting woes and everything else, like the Rashawn Myers of the, war, the world. You know, Rashawn Myers just wants to run his goddamn mouth about him. He just does not stop. To the point, it's just like Rashawn. Do you, you do you want the fucking job? Do you want it? Well, I'm a Louisville fan. Every time anything, some it's always something negative about Rashawn, Rashawn's mouth. Guy probably can't shoot a basketball or hit a layup on a decent clip, and he wants to fucking say this and that. Kenny Payne took the job, and automatically, in his last first seven months on the job, for a cup of coffee, he has had more five star recruits on campus. For visits and conversations with five-star recruits or highly top 40 recruits than Chris Mack did in his five years at Louisville. <coughs> they play them, they're 0 3. They're struggling to close games. And I'll make this real clear. I don't know what's going to happen today in the Maui. They're a 15 point underdog against Arkansas. Hopefully I can come on here next week and I can tell you guys that Louisville is 3-3 three and three or 2-4 and four and we're going to turn the corner now. And it starts against Tuesday, next Tuesday against Maryland. I, I hope I'm right. I don't know. But I will continue to root for them. Now I will continue to wear all my red and black. I wore my red Louisville hat I wore to work four out of the five days last week to work. I don't give a shit. I'm a Louisville fan. And I wear that shit with pride. But I'm going to make this real clear to everybody back in this this little segue that we need to fire Coach Payne and the guys out there who started GoFundMe to get his, you know, for his buyout where you're going to need more than $1,000 million. People that want to sign a petition to get him out of Louisville, you dumbasses don't realize the university can't afford to fire the man. You know, I said before, if Kenny don't take the job, Ed Cooley, Munslin from Arkansas, or Scott Drew, those are the, the, those are the three guys outside of Payne that won for the job. 
and you know all three of are a great are good coaches. I like all three of them, but let's be honest, the program's in shambles. This is a this is a two year job. I think next year, you know, he struck out some recruiting guards, and it's because he he got Devin Reed, he got Brandon Huntley, and everybody was like, oh shit, he's getting guys. And once again, when that's when the coaches start saying, well, you know, Louisville's they start recruiting against us. It's similar to what happened with Butch Davis at Miami. Players will tell you before they were on reviews, Miami ain't gonna play in bowl, uh, be able to play in bowl games for years. They're gonna be recruiting sanctions. They're gonna be down. Blah 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 blah. And you know, of course, what happened? Butch Davis turned the back program back around, and Larry, um, then this one of the assistants took it over, and look what happened, in Miami. Now Miami's faltered back and forth for years, and I'm just saying, using an example, it's similar. What happened? Just remember one thing, like Daryl Griffin said. When we miss the Soviet tournament, enjoy your tournament right now. We will be back. And we will be back. For the fans that refuse to bitch and moan about everything, y'all don't want to, you know, you say all these nasty things. Louisville fans have lost their goddamn mind. Targeting assistant coaches and shit. Like, what does Nolan Smith's wife have anything to do? Why are we going for Nolan Smith's wife? And that burner account that um, talks about Kenny Payne, Nolan Smith, I want to make this real clear. That guy, um, you know, I made it real clear to him before I blocked him, and then I blo- unblocked everybody on Twitter. And to some people I want to apologize to that I blocked on Twitter. I didn't mean to. I just went through a block, blah, blah, block his page. But that guy's a – I mean, I made it real clear to him that I would be in the Yum Center on December 4th, that Sunday, and if he has a problem, he can come see me since he's a season ticker holder, but he probably won't show up. He probably won't show up, and that's a fact. He's the type of guy that hides behind a keyboard because if he does show up and he wants to run his mouth, you know, me and him probably get thrown out of the yum center for good. And I ain't taking no L's on that either. He'll be looking down at L when I'm my, well, down on me because he's a punk-ass bitch, and I mean that. You're going to hide behind a burner account, talk about people, say you suck, you're a fucking embarrassment, and then you talk about the, and then you got people going after the man's wife and shit. Like, okay, you want to talk about the, you want to criticize the coaching staff? Fine, I'm fine with that. But to sit there and just need saying, well, he's already struck out on recruiting. It's his first year, guys, in the job. He inherited a rehab, a rebuilding job. I mean, it's real quick. I'm gonna say this one final time. Trust the process. And for the fans that are jumping off the bandwagon, you can come back on when we're back in the top 15 every year and be in Louisville again in about a year or two, probably two years. And I make this real clear. We're going to let you know about it every time. We're going to let you know about it every time. Plain and simple. So... I'll be here today. This is uh, Monday morning, 9.30 a.m. here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I will be watching a little game at 5 o'clock on ESPN. Root my ass off for them. That is what it is. Now, let's get into the, the, the big thing of the day. Let's talk about the Hellraiser reboot. Uh, now, let me pull up the information I put down in for this game. I mean, for this uh, thing. That movie. Okay. So, Hellraiser is a 2022 supernatural horror film directed by David Bruckner. And it is a, um, it is basically a reboot of the 1987 
cult but also classic horror film Hellraiser, same title. And it, was a, it is the second adaptation of the 1986 novel, The Hellbound Heart by Clive, ba Clive Barker. Now, I will make this clear. Hellraiser to me, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to review the whole film, give you a score on the film, give you my thoughts, and then I'm going to rank the entire franchise of Hellraiser. There's a lot of films. And honestly, I, I had, um, at, you know, I always thought there was one franchise that had, there was, you can say what you want to say about horror franchise. And I will make this clear. This channel, this channel, this podcast if i'm the majority of the films i will review on here are horror films i am a horror film fanatic <coughs> and i <coughs> excuse me i'm a horror film fanatic and that's a fact so we're gonna get into this so there have been rumors about a hellraiser remake for years there was there was talking about in 2007 they were gonna do one they uh they they got they got put off the side. Then there was a rumor in 2012 they're going to do one, and then in 2018 they thought they were going to get a chance, and then they finally made the announcement that in 2019 they got the green lit and they were going to, they were start filming. Obviously got to roll out COVID, and then finally it got happened. It was happened. Now I am a big fan. I, I am a I love the first film, the second film, or whatever, but overall. Hellraisers, that's this franchise that has talk about one of the biggest misuse of a horror character in Pinhead, the Hell's Priest, as they call him. Now, I will make this real clear. There, there were some issues I saw online. People were freaking out about one, um, Pinhead is a female in this, and two, the there were a couple people had an issue with a couple of the side characters that were had the biggest issue. You know, they were gay. That was gay. And everybody was saying it was woke and this and that. Yada, yada. I'll make this clear. If you read the Hellbound Heart, the novel, Pinhead the Hell Priest is a female in this, in that novel. And Clive Barker is a gay male. And the fact that he had two gay characters, he actually has gay characters in his book. So what's the problem with that? Um, and if you really look at the way Pinhead talks, sexuality, pleasure, and pain... It's got a sexual taste to it, so why would it not be a female? The original film, the studio made a change to make Pinhead a uh, uh, made Pinhead a uh, make Pinhead a, a lead as a male in that from a female. They switched it. So I'm gonna get into this. So we're gonna read the cast. Odessa Zoni as Riley, recovering drag. Jamie Clayton as Pinhead, the leader of the Cenobites. Anna Fison as Colin, Matt uh, Matt's boyfriend, which is. Um, with uh, Adam Fison as Colin, Matt's boyfriend. Drew <coughs> uh, Stelly as Trevor, Riley's boyfriend, who met her in a 12-step program at rehab, obviously. Uh, Brandon Flynn as Matt Canary, Riley's strange brother, and obviously you see Riley's brother's gay in this. Um, uh, Athena Hines as Nora, Matt and Colin's roommates. Got Jason Lawrence as Chatter, which is basically uh, Chatterbox, yeah, that one. Aniki Aurelian as the Weeper, one of the Cenobites who bleeds from her eyes. Sienna alone as Gas, a Cenobite who deforms, hinders her breathing. Zach Heron as Apex, Aspex as Cenobite. Kite Clark as Joey Kasorina, a sex worker, one of Voight's victims. Um, Horgan uh, Vinks as Roland Voight. A, you know, he's in this as well. Uh, Hyman, uh, Hyam Sebes Serena, voice lawyer, and 
You got and uh, yeah. Ugh, sorry, I'm tongue tied a little bit. So basically, film starts off. You, you find this woman who is riding around in the, this. It like looks Brazil or Mexico type of area. She meets a man. She pays this man, and she leaves with something in a box. And then it fast forwards to the like upper class Massachusetts, and um, the the party is at Ronald Voigt's mansion. Ronald Voigt is an art collector. He's a rich man. You know, he's all those other things. The guy named Joey Walk comes across. And he's walking around. He runs into the woman that picked up the, the, this said item. And she's talking about what she does and everything else. They have a nice little conversation. And Joey's drinking a cocktail. And he decides, you know, you want to meet Ronald Voigt? He goes, yeah. So he runs. I mean, not runs. But she tells him to go through these double doors in like 10 minutes. And she goes these double doors. And he walks into this Amazons of things. Of... This, these Amazons of puzzles, and he finds this the the puzzle box. He finds it, and Ronald Voigt tells him, you know, Ronald Voigt meets. And by the way, Ronald Voigt, he is very creepy in this. In a way, he has an homage. He has that slick, devilish sly, like when he smirks and smiles. When Joey goes, um, when Joey goes, when I solve it, do I get a prize? And, and Voigt goes, I do, and he smiles. And of course, Joey figures it out, and, and, it's, and he, you know, he he stabs. He gets stabbed by blood that springs from the box, and um, basically, he gets dizzy. Doesn't know what's going on, and it's very good. And I will state this: you, what you see in this you, in this film, I will say this. The first big positive I felt like with this immediately, I said, "Okay, we're doing practical effects, no CGI," which makes me very happy because practical practical effects. Always matter more, especially in horror films. Say that again. Um, I will state that um, that I felt like um, the portal opens up and the chains fly out, and immediately you see one of the chains hooks Joey in his his leg. He starts pulling him apart, and then Voight walks over, grabs the box, and I love how the box. They take this from the book. The box is changing shape, and it's it, you know it's morphing. There's different stages of the box, and Voight picks the box up and he lays it lays it on the, the mantle and he, he looks up and he says great Leviathan and he asks him for his gift or whatever and immediately as Joey's standing in the background he's chained up and he's like basically dying. Basically he's being pulled apart, blah 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 blah. And plain and simple, um like that. You know, we cut to the screen. It's the big bull little Hellraiser. And I would like to admit, the score and the sound of this was awesome. We go, And then they fast forward six layers later. You open up. You finally meet the main character in this, the main hero, the final girl, Riley in this. And she, her and her boyfriend, Colin, are having sex. Great opening. And she walks in with them. And her brother, Matt, his boyfriend, Trevor. Uh, not, uh, oh, no, boyfriend, Colin, excuse me. And they know her, they're in there, and she walks in and says, y'all heard us fucking? They go, yeah. Trevor kind of uncomfortable leaves, and then they, um, you know, they're sitting there eating. And, um, you know, you know, obviously Trevor says, I don't trust him. Oh, no, Colin says, I don't trust Trevor. Something off of him. They go back and forth, and you find out that she's been out of rehab. She's got all the, you know, she, you know they're, they're getting along. They butt heads, you know. Obviously, 
you know, Matt is very protective of her sister, like anybody would be if their, their sister had issues with drugs and stuff. And she's been, I think she said she's clean for a year and a half in the film, I believe. So she later goes over to Trevor's place and they're talking. And of course, Riley asks what he does and he says he tells her what he does and everything else. Then they go to this abandoned storage warehouse to figure out what's going on. And she, um, um, and she goes trying to figure out what is in it or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And they, they bust open the safe. They open up this other box and they find the, the configuration, the puzzle box. And so she, they don't know what's going on. She goes, well, it's probably worth some money. Let's see what they go back to leave. She shows back up to her place and obviously she's drunk. She's been drinking. She's falling over the place. Her and her brother get into it. They're screaming at each other back and forth, and he throws her out of the house. She leaves with her bags over or over her shoulders. She runs inside outside of Colin. Colin says, come back inside. You're going to regret this. She doesn't see anything. She totally goes to her car. She has a fucking temper tantrum. She kicks it. She finds this little, like, I don't know, little um, scope thing where the pills in it, and she goes to, um, she obviously goes to, um, like open it up and she sees that she's pills and she throws them on the ground. Later, something calls. She goes into the backseat to look. She sees the puzzle box and then she picks up the pills, throws them, takes them. She walks to a playground and um, basically she's relapsed now. She goes back to this playground and she's sitting on this little swing thing and she's playing with the puzzle box and she solves it. As she solves it, the blade pops open and it misses her. She was her hands. And then you hear that blade was meant for you. And the Cenobites appear. This is our first look at the Cenobites. And I must stay, say, since the original film, and I think even me people agree with me, this is the best the Cenobites have ever looked. So they nailed the Cenobites look. And you see Pinhead in the back teasing her, teasing her with her little um, whole thing, contraction. And they do some where Riley's bleeding from her chest and it knocks her out. And somehow, and Pinhead says, if we can't have you, we'll take someone else. And they sense her brother, and they wake her brother from her sleep. And Matt goes outside. He's worried. He, why'd he wake up? He wakes up. He finds Riley blacked out. He tries to wake her up, smacking her. And when he grabs the box, he actually he sets it off, and it cuts him. Well, when it cuts him, Riley finally wakes up a little bit. She's in and out of it. And he goes to the bathroom and he drags her to the outside of one of the playground's bathroom. He walks and rush, washes his hands. The lights blicker and all of a sudden we go, we pan forward back to Riley and we hear Matt scream. She And she, before she goes back, she goes in there, she basically can't find him. He's vanished. She grabs the box and she believes the box, the box is the reason why he's gone. The cops question her. The cops get called. They question her. She goes back to she goes back to the house and she's talking to Colin and her and her room the other roommate her name escapes me oh Nora and they're talking and she goes I don't know what's going on it just believes the box and I almost said this from the get-go I saw Riley in the film I don't have a I think she's a good actress I just felt like she was miscast I'm not a big fan of her in this as I go on state this I felt like the supporting cast around her was better than what she was and I recognized her boyfriend Trevor from the the he I forget the character's name, but in Outer Banks one the Outer Banks you know if you guys seen Outer Banks on Netflix is a top three show of mine on Netflix good show by the way, 
Um, so they're do she's doing some research on the box or whatever, and she find and she they, they track down the serial number on the warehouse where it came from, and they find Serena Maker, fourth former lawyer <clears throat> who had it here in the warehouse. And she is basically in a in a, re, a hospital, and she's basically dying. Her lungs are dying, and she runs down the whole story of the box and what happened to the box and why did it happen and blah 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 and all those other things. And basically, um, as she tries to grab the box from Riley, she accidentally cuts herself. Riley leaves. Her and Tre- her and Trevor have an argument. They said, "We just need to go. We fan fan back." You hear that classic Hellraiser score in this. That you know what I'm talking about. You've seen the first one, the classic score, and basically, as she's trying to breathe, the Cenobites, um, you know, Serena is cornered. She gets chased down by the Cenobites. They corner her, and she goes, "Have mercy, forgiven." And the woman takes a pen and sticks it in her mouth and says, "Save your, save your breath for screams." And it pans back. Basically, they've taken her. So. Riley does some more research. She looks up Void and how he's mysteriously vanished. And then you see on the, the screen when she's going through her laptop, you see that she has seen the, um, the you see Joey from, um, you know, you see Joey, the first, uh, <clears throat> the first victim in this you see. And you see some other victims. So, you know, as you find out later on that you, when you, have this box and you want power or a gift from the, the Cenobites and from Leviathan you have to have six sacrifices and it shows when Riley goes to the mansion and she finds that they're from the uh, from Void's mansion she sees the drawing of the stages of the box so the boxes morph and have more sense so I will state this the first 30-40 minutes of this film is very boring and then right around after the hospital scene it starts picking up it ramps up so finally, <clears throat> excuse me, as I take a drink, as I take a drink, R- Riley, you know, she hears her brother's name in the, in the, uh, in the mansion. She goes downstairs, she sees him, she hugs him, they can see him, and then she realizes she's holding, she's hugging a man without skin, she freaks out, she goes, <clears throat> and as she goes back, <clears throat> excuse me, as she's screaming, freaking out, Nora, Trevor, and Colin have all come down there, and they found her, and they're trying to make her leave or whatever. They do as they leave. Trevor, as they're separated or whatever. Colin, Colin, uh, uh, Colin goes ahead and um, she Riley's telling Colin what's going on, and everything else, and all this other stuff about the showing explains it, and Colin thinks she's fucking crazy, which I would too. I don't blame her. Downstairs, Trevor and Nora are like fucking around the dining thing and they're having a drink. They're going to have a drink or whatever. Nora fucking with the contraction, some buttons that turn the lights on and off. And she opens the door and um, plain and simple, as she opens the door, she uh, basically uh, opens the door to a trap door. She finds it and she's, as she's trapped in, she's trying to tell Trevor to get her out. She can't get her out. And she runs around and of course she runs into... A um, she runs into a mysterious figure t- chasing through the hallway. She somehow ends up being stabbed with the box behind her back, and in a very gruesome way, by the way, she falls down very nasty. And as you see through the people, one of the peepholes in the, the mansion, you see that Void is alive, basically, and he's in the mansion, and he looks old and decrepit, and he looks like he's aged. And of course, <clears throat> excuse me, 
they leave, and now once you're picked, and this is probably one of the coolest effects in the movie, I think. And Nora's in the backseat. She's bleeding out. They're trying to get her to a hospital. And next thing I know, the 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 back of the van is moving away from them, and it's, it goes into like where the the um, the, 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 the the I call it the um, the neighborhood of like hell, basically where the Cenobites are. And this is when you first get an interaction, a full floor floor of Jamie Clayton's version of the Hell Priest Pinhead, and she's she's got the voice, the characterization, she's got it down. And Nora gets changled up, and really cool effect with Chatterbox. Chatterbox squeezes her head as it pops, and you see in the background Riley can see through the window what's going on, and she screams Nora. She screams Nora. Blood spatters over the back seat, and she's disappeared. They can't find her. She's basically in the, the nether realm. She's dead um, in hell. And then Riley goes to throw the box away, and she is met by Pinhead. And Pinhead tells her the rules of the box and what's going on and how it goes down and all sort of thing. And she goes, I don't want it. And then Pinhead basically makes the box nip her and says, if we can't have their blood, two more bloods for, for a reward or a sacrifice, we'll have yours. So they go back to the house, the mansion, Voight's mansion. And you find out that Voight's mansion is a chamber basically, a cage. It looks like the, the box itself. I thought that was really cool. But back to, I will apologize. I this be, as, as Riley, Trevor, and Colin are walking up this hill trying to get past, they're walking now because their they're van, the van that Colin was, uh, Trevor's driving is now off in a ditch. Basically, uh, uh, they the Cenobites and Pinhead is doesn't match with the ground, moves the moves the ground back. Really cool effect, and the, the Cenobites come out of the ground. It's Chatterbox, Chatterbox corners them into a gate where they're locked in beside, and Chatterbox literally goes for the box, and he and basically Trevor's fighting him off, and Trevor gets his arm bit right around his vein, which was really cool effect. He's bleeding out, and basically the one thing about this I liked was it didn't they. The box needs blood. It doesn't matter what blood it is to make to make it the whatever. And basically, she Riley stabs Chatterbox. Chatterbox walks back. He gets chained up and he dies. Chatterbox disappears. So one of my favorite Cenobites was killed off early in this. Ah, I don't know how I felt about that. Um, they go back to the house and they Trevor's bleeding out bad. So a lot of blood in this. Really good effects. Um, basically a. Uh, <clears throat> And basically, uh, that happens. Next thing you know, of course, um, they go back to mention that they lock the doors or whatever, and they decide that you know they 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 lay down Trevor on the bed, and then as they go, uh, Riley, <coughs> Colin leave. Voight wakes up, puts his hand over his mouth, and you find out that Voight was paying Trevor to get Riley and some people to sacrifice with that that box. Basically, he's paying him and everything else. And you see that Voight is now got a contraction around his chest and his back. Like, it's it's through him. Like, it stabbed him. And he's through it. And he's in pain. The track goes off. Really cool effect. So, <clears throat> basically, they... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So, they decide they're going to keep stabbing Cenobites or whatever. And they let one of the Cenobites in, the one that's blind and can't see through his rage. He chases them. And they lock him in, whatever. And as Riley does it, she knocks down. She loses the box. She screams, Colin, get the box. Just stab him, whatever. And then he's looking for the box. He realizes 
Void comes out of nowhere. He stabs him in the stomach. And I need a sacrifice. And Trevor goes, you weren't supposed to do that. He goes, they'll come. The Semites will come. And then Void tells Riley what's going on with Trevor. And Riley screams out, how did you know you knew this? Blah, 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 blah. They let the Cenobites in. They chase everybody down. And we get a face-to-face of Pinhead and Voight, and Voight screaming about the pleasures and how much pain he's got. Just one, I don't want it no more. And finally, she takes his, she takes it, her thing back from him. Um, they let, they, you know, Pinhead tells Boyd basically when he wants, he, reward can't revoke, but it can't be traded for a different reward. And she offers him power and Boyd says, I accept. And basically, um, as she does that, the machine drops out of it in a really cool effect. Like he's throwing up the manacle machines as it's dropping from him. He's bleeding from his mouth. Meanwhile, Colin's being chased by one of the Cenobites, and he's in like a wire thing. He's and he's being held back. And Riley says, "Can I, uh, you know, um, how do I save Colin?" And the Cenobites say, "For another cool, real cool effect." As Riley, uh, as Pennant says, "Another." The other one says, "Another." And basically, Riley looks at Travis, and Travis says, "Put the fucking thing down." She stabs him with the box, and he goes and the good wire effect cuts his arms and his neck. He's pulled back on his bed, and as the machine is falling out of of Trevor, uh, the machine's falling out of Void. Trevor is sunk down to this hole of hell, where he basically is become he is dead now, or whatever. And Void is happy. He's like, I got this thing away. And it's a really cool effect with his skin, you know, growing back, and you see his heart come back. Pretty cool. And all of a sudden, a big ass chain comes down, and stabs him, and takes him up to the sky to Leviathan. Really cool effect as well on that. And then, uh, after all the sacrifice completed, the Cenobites then ask Riley what gift would she like. They tell her they can resurrect Matt for her, but they know Riley knows there's a catch. They're they're twisted. And she says, I'm going to accept Matt's death. And um, the Cenobites basically tell her that, that choosing the life with her guilt of hers, what, what happened with her, the loss, she effectively chosen the gift of Lamarant. And the box reverts back to cube confirmation, and the Cenobites just disappear. And basically, Riley and Colin leave the mansion and basically said, and Colin, I think he said the words, what the fuck just happened in there? Riley remains silent. They drive off means. And then inside a live event, then we, we pan back to the final part of the film, back in Leviathan. Voight, uh, is, he basically is turned to a Cenobite in a brutal transformation. And the movie ends. So what do I think of this? Overall, I did enjoy this remake. It is one of the better horror remakes I've seen in the last... The, one of the best horror remakes I've seen in a while, I think. Um, I'm going to rank, rank the whole franchise in a minute and place it, but I will let you know. I do like the story, even though it was a really boring pace to start off. The Cenobites look fantastic. Good, good practical effects, good horror. Not a big fan of the lead in this. I feel like the, the two, the other main characters around her were better. I like Nora, to be honest with you. I thought she was really good in this. Trevor is really good. Um, I like the character Trevor as well. The, 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 Jamie Clayton is, look, Doug Bradley as Pinhead will never be touched, but Jamie Clayton does a damn good job. She put her own spin on it, and her voice, I thought, was really good in this. The Grey Delights was such sights to show you. It was damn good. So on a scale of 1 to 10, I can't remember what I ranked this on Facebook a month ago, but I've seen this movie three times now, and I liked it more the first two times I watched it because I've seen it already. But I will point this at, I'm going to give this a solid 
8.25 out of 10. I feel like that's fair. Good score, good everything, but not a great lead. A very boring buildup, but it does deliver at the end. And I look, I, hopefully we get a sequel to this. So now let's talk about where does it rank with the Hellraiser franchise? Now, I've recently watched the Hellraiser films, and... So I'm going to pull these up for you real quick as I'm going through this. If you hear some Kevin Gates in the background, my girlfriend is clean. Listen to Kevin Gates. Gotta love that woman. Mm, she's so sexy. So let's go with the uh, let's go with the name. So we have got we have got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We got eleven Hellraiser films. So starting with the bottom of the worst, the worst Hellraiser film. I'm going to go with number 11 as Hellraiser's Revelations. This was the first film that was made without Doug Bradley as the lead of Pinhead, the Hell Priest. And it was just a movie thrown together so they wouldn't lose the rights. Shit movie, cheaply made, bad effects, just everything around. Number 10, I'm going to go with Hellraiser Hellworld. Lance Herskins is in this. This is the last time we see Doug Bradley as Pinhead in this to this date, and I think it will be. But I will state, cool concept. Henry Cavill is in this as well, but just didn't deliver what it would be. And it's one of those films where it was a horror film that just threw Pinhead in there, and I just, whatever. Number nine, I'm going to go Hellraiser Inferno. I remember seeing this film when it came out, when it came out on, on uh, <clears throat> On uh, on uh, DVD in 2000. Scott Dickerson is director. And we all know Scott Dickerson has done some really good horror films since, the, since this. But outside of... Outside, there is a... Uh, where is he at? Outside of Jan James Ramar being in this. The guy from 48 Hours and The Cotton Club. And he's done The Warriors and... Been in Dexter. Outside of that, there is nothing memorable, memorable about this movie. So number nine, Hellraiser Inferno. Number eight, I'm going to go Hellraiser Dreader. This is a film that I like the idea what they were doing with this or as, a, as a, 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 a reporter in London. She's investigating or somewhere she's investigating these, these, um, yeah, <clears throat> these things of... Um, uh, she's investigating these, uh, these, this, she's it about these people called the Dreaders or whatever. It's been a while since I've seen the film, but it's an interesting film. I just feel like it was a cool concept, but they just did not. It just didn't deliver, and the the, the climax is weird. She the lead ends up sacrificing herself to kill the so the pin hit so hell can't take over. It's just a it weird. Now we go to number seven, and this is the one film on here that was very disappointing. Hellraiser Hellseeker. The return of Christy Cotton in this and Kirsty, excuse me, Kirsty Cotton in this. And it's got, I mean, you got Dean Withers in this. I mean, there's a lot of cool things, but it's just a very disappointing watch. I was really hoping seeing Christy, Kirsty in this, we would get a, a really good event. There's actually a deleted scene of her and Pinhead having a uh, confrontation that was deleted, which is really cool. Outside of that, it's just a bit missed opportunity, man. This could have been a really good film, but just missed opportunity. So that was, I'm sorry, one, two, 
So we have got number seven. Number seven, I'm going to go Hellraiser Judgment. Um, came out 2018. This is actually not that bad. This actually has a lot of, a lot, a lot of good, um, a good qualities to it. A nice, uh, this is the second time we've seen Doug Bradley and I in the role of Pinhead. And it's actually really, it's actually really good. It, the only negative thing about it, it's just a cheap horror film. I think it was cheaper in Revelations, but it was, de it was delivered more. And I feel like it could have been a little bit better, but it, it was solid. A solid horror, a solid horror film. To the point where I was like, okay, cool. So that was number six. Now we're going to the top five. Now all these top five right here, I am a fan of. I enjoy. Number five, I'm going to go Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth. Really cool film. It's probably the most quote-unquote MTV feel of a film, of these films. And I do like it. Really cool film. Up the, bu the budget was really freaking crazy in this film. Um, there's a kick-ass Motorhead song of Hellraiser, a cover of Ozzy Osbourne's song. But... Do like this film, and um, I do watch it occasionally when it's on. Number four, I'm gonna go Hellraiser Bloodline, the last film that's been shown in a theatrical release for Hellraiser. I like the timeline jumps they do with this. Angelique, one of the demons. I wish they would have done a prequel on her. She is a really cool character. Uh, the toy maker scene, Hellraiser going to space, it kind of fits, and I, I I did like it. I did I did like it. I mean. The plot is jumpy back and forth. And also, I believe um, this is the first film that Adam Scott has a major role in. Adam Scott. So, it's pretty cool. Top three. Now, these top three I will watch on any other basis. Now, what is top number three? Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Um, yeah, I think Hell, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 is a really good sequel. The only issue I have with it is just the way the new demon comes in and he just takes out the Cenobites for no reason, new Cenobites. But overall, that original voice that Doug Bradley had as Pinhead, that deep morale voice and how he's freed of us, you know, freed. I still think it's a good sequel. I just feel like the third act could have been better. Top two. Now, this is where we get interested. Both these two films I do enjoy. And I do think that they're good. And I slept on it. And I will state this. Number two for me is the Hellraiser remake. I, like I said before, I'm going to tell you what separates why I went with the original over this. One of the best modern horror remakes we've seen in a long time. A really good budget. I really hope we get a sequel to it. I've already stated before what I thought of it. The reason why I went with the original Hellraiser is my number one in the franchise. Is because the female lead of Kirsty Cotton. And the fact you got Frank involved in a deeper with that story and everything else, and the the atmosphere and the originality of it with with uh, Julia and all the other pe people, I still believe that the original Hellraiser is just just a little bit better, but it's not by much. It's a horror classic in my opinion. So I just ranked the Hellraiser franchise for you. I hope we get a sequel to this with Jamie Clayton returns the Hell Priest. Maybe they can bring back the the bring back Riley. Maybe she'll grow on me. But at this point. I just named you my top, my uh, ranking of the Hellraiser franchise. So with this episode concluding, I will let you know we are. I am dropping a bonus episode Sunday afternoon. WWE Survivor Series is Saturday, and I will be watching that, and I will be reviewing that Sunday morning for you guys. I'll be dropping around Sunday afternoon-ish for you guys. In the meantime, I will play into this for you. I have Wakanda Forever coming up here real soon. I plan on going to see that this weekend and giving you that full review uh, next week as well. I also 
you know, the AEW pay-per-view just came out, uh, Full Gear, and I didn't watch it. And I already know the results and everything, but I, I'm debating on giving you that review. I may or may not. Overall, though, guys, um, ready Cypher Survivor Series. Um, I'm excited to watch a little play today. Uh, a lot of good things happening. So, in conclusion, with this episode, I just want to remind y'all, I don't bullshit. I just tell it like it is, straight up. Have a good one, y'all.